This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Just a quick introduction of um, Magnus Temple. He runs a, a company called The Garden with Nick Kerr, which he set up with Nick Kerwin, and they set this up in 2010. Um, it's an award-winning company that makes fantastic, cutting-edge, ambitious, distinctive, factual programs, and a, a fantastic innovator um, on the British TV landscape. Um, they've they've um, been voted one of the top production companies and voted by their peers as one of the most respected companies, which is really saying something in the UK. And I've worked for them and had a really fantastic time working on um, keeping Britain alive. And so welcome, Magnus. Thank you. Um, and we're just going to show a quick showreel of, of some of the work that the garden do. Um, this, is just, this is just a recent one. So this is not a, it's not a broad spectrum of the work, but it's just it's something that was cut together for another purpose recently. But I'll give you a little taste of what we do. Hmm. So do you want to run the showreel? So, Magnus, can you just give us a little, a very quick potted history of your journey through... Sure. I'll try and be brief. ...both companies, and, but, and then talk about the first big series that course, really put yeah. you on the map. Uh, so, I mean, I was, a, I was a freelance director, and that's all I'd imagined doing. Um, in fact, Manny and I were talking about it last night, and there's always a sense in which I sort of am a perennial director and always imagine going back to it. Um, uh, and when I... Um, uh, set up my first company, Firefly. I did it with, as Mandy was saying, um, Nick Kerwin. Uh, and it was really just as a sort of vehicle to direct and do a few other things. Um, uh, and, uh, and it didn't quite go according to plan. Um, it became um, bigger than we'd imagined. Um, and, um, but it was a great, great pleasure. Uh, and one of the, I suppose, the, 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 the distinctive things that we did was um, the first sort of fixed camera rig show, um, which uh, I, I, I'm assuming that most people are aware of what that is, but basically um, we had looked for a while uh, at some of the big sort of entertainment shows like Big Brother that were using more and more kind of technology to kind of, I suppose, capture what they were watching in different ways. And, uh, uh, and it occurred to us that you might just be able to use that technology uh, in a documentary environment, not somewhere that was constructed, but somewhere that was real. Um, and at about that time, Channel 4 were really putting out a kind of big call for sort of new, um, actually expensive. I mean, it's very rare for a broadcaster to do this, but they were actually saying, we want to spend loads of money on a big, ambitious project. Uh, uh, and uh, we got talking to Simon Dixon, who was uh, a commissioner in documentaries there, and we sort of hatched this idea, uh, crazy at the time, that we were going to uh, find a family who were happy for us to put cameras on the walls of their home and record them um, over a period of four months. Uh, and uh, and we would have, we'd have a, like a gallery set up next door, um, to where they lived, and we would sort of be watching them effectively 24 7. Um, so uh, that was the family. So I'm just, we're just going to show you a little clip from the family, and then we'll.
talk a little bit more about it uh, before we move on to the next thing. Can you run the family? What, what I really love about that is, is that it's such an unbelievably familiar domestic scene. And I think, in a way, what we were trying to get at with the family is not something, you know, often documentaries strive to do something really exceptional. But in a way, we wanted to look at something that was really ordinary and really recognisable um, and really universal. Uh, and I think that, that, that the reason we were wanting to look at a family is because it's one of these units that often pulls in different directions, as you can see, but ultimately come, love kind of bonds it back, binds it back together. And um, that was, it, it, when we were casting to find the family, that was the kind of family we wanted, a sort of family that you could all look at and you could kind of see yourself in. Um, and, uh, and I sort of think in a way that clip sort of epitomises that a sort of very, very ordinary, recognisable um, family scene that, you know, sort of where conflict is, is uh, broken apart by humour. And of course, casting was obviously crucial. How long did it take you to find that family? Uh, yes, a long time, actually. I mean, we, we had a few false starts, <laughs> to be said. So uh, uh, I think in all, it was probably about 18 months uh, which was phenomenal. And actually, Channel 4 were unbelievably good about just kind of sticking with it. They really, really believed in the idea. Um, and it's quite unusual because so often now um, things get kind of commissioned off tape. And in a way, this was just something that was commissioned from a concept. And that was the only thing that made it work. Because if they'd said, oh, yes, we might commission it if you show us the family, that would have been you know, one of the most expensive developments in history. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I was, you know we, we, they, they stuck with this. And in, in a way, I think it's quite a sort of lesson, certainly for broadcasters, that actually if you really, really are striving to do something different, you sort of, you need to really stick with it and you need to have the kind of confidence to back something that is a, a real risk um, and could result in real failure. Um, and uh, for, certainly for Channel 4, that project in itself, I mean, that ran for um, three series, but it kind of spawned a whole new genre that um, has been really a significant part of their output. So it was definitely worth the investment for them. Mm. They got a lot of, lot of hours out of it. Yeah. Um, but what, so how scary was it? Because it was really virgin territory. People had done little, little kind of experiment, had little experiments with fixed rig cameras, but not in the way that you did it, where you, you rigged a whole house. Um, how scary was that for you, for the broadcaster? Uh, what, what were the rules that you made for yourself about so, the filming? Uh, I think, in a way, the scariest bit was trying to find the family and also, of course, not really being able to quite anticipate what the narratives might be, because obviously you all need narrative. Um, and although we, we were trying to look for a family where we knew there would be certain dynamics that might create narrative, um, like sort of children that were beginning to kind of push the boundaries, but... Um, uh, but that was scary. That was the scariest bit, I'd say, is finding the family. Um, once we were up and running and filming, I remember a very, a very early point where we, uh, an editor, we had an editor on location who'd assembled some rushes, and, and we all sat there, and we were just like, oh, my God, we've got something here. This is really special. And from that moment on, uh, you know, it wasn't without its challenges, but we sort of, we knew we had something quite special. Um, uh, uh, but in terms of the sort of rules, I mean, I, what I quite liked about the original family is, is uh, it was quite uncompromising. So 
in that clip, you have a little bit of um, voiceover from the dad, and that was probably about as much as you would get in any episode. A tiny bit of voiceover from one of the characters to kind of set, set it in motion. Um, but other than that, there was no narration, um, and there were no interviews, and there was also no filming that happened outside the house. So it was kind of like we'd created this stage, this sort of bubble. And I, I think there's something about the fixed rig, certainly the, the early fixed rigs that we did, which was sort of about creating this self-contained world and reality. And, and in a way, when we tried to use rushes that had been filmed outside, it just completely broke the spell. Um, so I, I, I liked it for its kind of uncompromising uh, nature. Mm. And it, it kind of spawned a whole, ra a whole kind of, you know, series of other families and, and exploring other kind of the ethnic diversity of this of, yep. of the UK, um, which was a really interesting yeah, insight. Yeah. So it's just worth saying that. So the first series we did was a kind of a very sort of recognisable sort of everyman family, if you like. And uh, when Channel Four did it again they were very clear that they wanted to represent something different about Britain. And, and so we featured an Asian family. Um, There's quite a different quality to it. And we also, in the second series, we introduced interviews, which um, I think was the right thing to do, and also because it sort of helped add context to what you were seeing. Mm. So what was the next big idea, and, and how did that come about? Um, well, in a way, because the, the family had come about because we fancied using this sort of new technology, but we wanted to take a kind of quite a familiar documentary territory. Um, and in, in, I mean, actually, in nearly everything we've done, not exclusively, but nearly everything we've done, it's not the subject matter, um, but it's the kind of the way in which it's, the subject is looked at, which is what we try and make different. Um, so a family, you know, there's been lots of documentaries featuring the kind of domestic setup. Um, uh, and clearly there's been lots and lots of documentaries um, based in hospitals. Um, and so for the second sort of use of the rig, we were sort of thinking about hospitals. Uh, and really, we, I suppose we latched onto maternity because it was the one place in the hospital that gave you drama but provided you happy endings, which doesn't often happen in hospitals. Um, uh, and so that, that was what spawned um, Bomb Born Every Minute. Um, which was a kind of bigger setup. So that was, uh, I think the family had like 23 cameras, and this was more like 40 cameras. Um, and, but was much, much more complex because suddenly we were in a medical environment uh, with all of the, the issues that go with that. Um, so, I mean, even just the kind of, the, the sort of hygiene control uh, that goes along with having to put a whole load of cables into um, hospital is, is quite significant. But such kind of inherent drama in a hospital as well, even if it is. Yeah. Um, especially with, yeah. With, with babies being born. And it was interesting, with, with, where I think with one born every minute, in the same way that there was a sort of moment with the family where we really realised, oh my God, we've got something here that's quite special. With one born every minute, uh, it wasn't looking at rushes, but it was actually being in the gallery with, actually it was with Hamish, my cura, who, who's, who's been here um, this week, um, who at the time was uh, head of documentaries at Channel 4, and he'd come down to visit, and uh, just how it happened that his visit coincided with 
um, someone giving birth. And, we, and it was slightly bizarre circumstances because we were in this truck, which was basically you know, the sort of thing that would have been used for a golf tournament. And we were all, um, we were all sort of sitting there, these slightly burly men, watching a woman give birth. It was all a bit sort of wrong. Um, uh, and, that, and there was one point where I just looked over and literally everyone was just streaming with tears. So it was, um, you, you could see, and I, I, I sort of hate to admit this, but I actually felt more emotional watching that than watching my own children be born. <laughs> we won't, uh, won't tell his wife. No, there's an explanation for that, which is that I think that when your own children are being born, you're kind of, you're so in the moment and you're so sort of try, trying to cope and deal with it and be uh, practical and helpful. But actually watching it at one step removed was an unbelievably kind of sort of cathartic experience. It was like the emotion was able to come out. Um, and so you could see that with one one every minute, you, you had this kind of shape where, I mean, we tended to have kind of two main stories per episode. Um, and they had a sort of an amazing way of kind of rising to this, this, the, the moment of birth. And obviously, labor is quite a tense point. Uh, and then once the moment of birth happened, there was a, this is almost inevitable, massive re release of emotion. And um, uh, I think that's the, that was the kind of key to making that work in a way with one born, unlike 24 hours in any that we'll come on to, it had, very, had a sort of very distinct shape to it um, that you'd have week in, week out. And I think in a way, audiences kind of latched onto that. So they, they knew that they would get this kind of hit of emotion at a certain point. Um, uh, and I think the other thing about One Born is, is that um, in some ways, because you were with this sort of couple at a, such an intense time, it, was, it became very much about the relationship. And I remember uh, when we were writing the pre-title, um, we, we came up with a thing which was about sort of some lives beginning and others changing forever. So in a way, you were right at the moment where you were in the heart of this relationship as it was changing forever, and as these lives were, and, and in a way, whatever bad thing was happening in, in the relationship, once that baby was born, all was good with the world. And uh, so that, I think that, was, that, that felt like it was a bit of a key, key, mm. key to the success for one born. Mm. And why it's been able to carry on, you know, so many, yeah. so, so many kind of series of, of one born. Yeah. Are they still doing it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to have a look at a clip, but what I, what I love about this clip is that it, you know, the rig can capture the minutiae of moments of humanity in a way that, you know, in a way that you could spend a lot of time hanging around to capture those moments in a conventional documentary way. Um, so, and that's one of the beauties of, of, of fixed rig, I think. Um, I'm not sure the quality of the, the quality of this clip's not that good. It's so not bear, good, but it's bear still, with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still it's just still one of those amazing moments that you just it tells you so much. Anyway, look, see for yourself. Lovely. Um, what were the disadvantages that you found with the rig, or were, were there were there disadvantages? Um, I mean, pe people have always commented on the rig, which is is that. I suppose one disadvantage is if you're a sort of director and you're right in there, you can obviously um, affect the action in, in a, more, a much more direct way than you can with the rig. So um, I think both with the family and one born every minute, there was a lot of contact with the couples and the family, but it kind of had to be off-camera off contact. Um, uh, I think 
for the places that you're working with, it obviously feels like a much bigger ask to say, can we come and kind of rip apart your hospital ward for a little bit and put cameras in while you're in operating hospital? And so that's probably a disadvantage. I think uh, I would say the expense of the setup. Um, I mean, rigs, in some ways, that was a kind of a, uh, apparently, it's a sort of blessing and a curse in a way because. Um, it means that you have to commission at scale. You can't, there's no point in doing a sort of big rig show and go, I know we'll pilot it or we'll do a three-parter or a four-parter, we'll try it out. So you have to really, you have to sort of go for broke um, and uh, one born every minute. I mean, the first series was commissioned as, as um, eight episodes, um, uh, but subsequent series, I think they now, they now commission sort of runs of 20. Um, and, and that makes the kind of economics of it viable. So it's a big, big setup cost. Mm. Uh, and, it, and it's quite a big undertaking for, a, for, for an institution or a, a, to take on. Yeah. I just want to move on to your philosophy about time. And, you know, I mean, because a, a lot of these series have time as almost the perfect metaphor um, and, and also a fundamental structure for the programs. Um, and, and, and they work beautifully as a long-running format. Um, was that a very conscious choice? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, because if you sort of track back, um, you can sort of see there's a sort of, there's a bit of a journey <laughs> of time. So when we, when, we, when we filmed The Family, it was over a period of um, four months. Uh, when we filmed One Born Every Minute, I think it was like 23 days, and we sort of, you know, we would take different births from different places within that 28 days. Um, and when it comes to 24 hours in A&E, I think because we were filming in an emergency department, and interestingly enough, whereas with One Born Every Minute, we, were, we kind of made a conscious point of saying, um, oh, you know, we've put a whole load of cameras on the wall. Isn't that amazing? Um, with, when we got to 24 hours in A&E, we realised that actually audiences, they don't really care about the technology. They just care about what they're seeing and what that, what that delivers. And so when it came to 24 hours in A&E, we realised that we needed to have a different kind of proposition. It couldn't just be, oh, we put a load of cameras on the wall of an, uh, of an A&E unit. Um, uh, and also, I think we ne you, it needed to be signalled clearly to the audience that we were doing something um, a bit different. So we came up with this idea of doing it, sort of having 24 hours in A&E and each episode being a, a distinct 24-hour period. Um, and in some ways, there was a lot of debate even way into the edit, about whether we should be really sticking with that or not, because it sort of seemed like, well, is that actually a good idea, or shouldn't you be filming? I mean, we were, for the first series, I think we perhaps say, say we were filming for a, a month or so. Um, wouldn't it be just better just to sort of take any story from um, here, there, or everywhere and kind of sort of, mm -hmm. of uh, and just, just make the best, you know, like you would do in a normal documentary, you would sort of, you might be playing three stories together and you would work out, well, which three stories go best together. Whereas I think that it was really good that we stuck to our guns, um, partly because that meant that it saved making endless choices in the edit, which, as we all know, can be annoying. Um, uh, and partly because I think it allowed you to play very, very different types of material and different scenes um, next to each other. So that you could go from something really traumatic and sad and tragic to something really funny. And that was okay because they, you knew, the audience knew that those things were actually happening at the same time next door to each other. 
Um, and in a way, the sort of notion that you have this container that feels quite fixed and solid, but that you can do all sorts of things within it, um, I think is a, is a really satisfying one. Um, and, and we can talk a little bit about the different kinds of stories that you find. It, and, and I know it airs here, so I, I won't go on too much about it. But I think something about the fact that it, you know, 24 hours in a it kind of really says what it is. It's a very sort of solid structure, but you can do anything within it, and you can kind of you, you can range in terms of the kind of the kind of stories and the kind of people you feature. Mm. Um, it, it is a, a significant part of its success. Mm. So let's have a look at a, a clip about the making of A and E, and we can then talk about you know how you evolved the rig. This is yeah. I should just say this was a documentary that was made maybe. Three years, three or four years ago, which was just a sort of making of. It's a good, for it's a good insight yeah. into what's involved in setting it up because I think we're a bit shy of the ambition of the rig or think it's too expensive or, you know. So it's just a good, it's a good insight for the audience. It's, I mean, that's sort of an example of what because obviously when they're rigging, particularly in an emergency department, at least in the maternity unit, you could go, this room's not being used, so you can rig that room. But in an emergency, of course. There's not a time where it's not being, it was active all the time, that's being rigged. So it's really complicated. So, and I read, um, I mean, the kind of efficiency that you were getting out of this, I read in, a, in, an, in an interview with you and Nick that the ratio of shooting was 1.6 days per episode, which is pretty incredible. Um, how many weeks do you edit for? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we desire. What we, what we plan to edit for and what we actually edit for can be quite different things, but generally it's probably between six and eight weeks per film, I'd say. Um, sometimes slightly less, sometimes slightly more. Um, uh, but in terms of the, sort of sh the, the shoot ratio, we sort of worked that out, I suppose, having done it a number of times and figured out that although we're covering 24 hour, a 24-hour period, there's obviously going to be some wastage. So that's the kind of, that's the, that's the kind of, that's what it works out at. So mm. I suppose because we've done quite a lot of it now that we've, 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 we've fine-tuned it. Mm. But it's still the same period of time as a kind of normal documentary in the UK gets. Yeah, gets you mean in terms of it's sort of, edit, in terms of the editing schedule. I mean, obviously with the complex thing about the editing is at the moment we, uh, we film, uh, so the last series we, we did, or we're just finishing now, we filmed 34 episodes over that um, filming period. So that's a massive amount to, to, to edit. And so there's, there's, I mean, there are, uh, you know, kind of 18, sometimes 18 cutting rooms open at the same time. So um, that's, that's a lot. I mean, it's a big, uh, I, I mean, I think in some ways, and I don't take um, credit for the recent series because I'm not directly um, execing them anymore, but um, I think it's credit to the, 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 the team that with such a kind of industrial size um, setup, that the sort of the quality of the films each feels individual and special and crafted. Um, it doesn't feel like it's kind of made like a sausage machine. And, and how many people are involved? So when when you're you've got the gallery going inside the hospital, how many people have you got involved in all that? Uh, I think it's probably about two, about two hundred. I'm guessing. I think he said 170 on the clip. It's probably got a few more than that since that was made. <laughs> and how did you train... I mean, how do you train a whole team up? I mean, you must have had to... Everybody was doing it for the first time with the family. 
and obviously you've got uh, people who've grown with you. Yeah. I mean, that, I, mean I, I think in some ways that's the key thing, because what we found on the family, and also one born, is, is that we use a lot of, in the gallery at least, um, we use a lot of directors that have kind of come from Big Brother, so that they've done you know, lots of kind of seasons of Big Brother and other shows like it, where they'd been in the gallery producing, you know, sort of uh, um, cutting streams of rushes uh, for sort of programmes that were fast turnaround. And I remember it was, it was, it was quite a sort of discipline changing the mindset from um, the sense in which they were kind of cutting a stream that would pretty much be aired like that to a sense that, yes, you're doing the same thing, but actually what you're doing is you're, you're, you're generating rushes so that you're not cut, you're not, we're not asking you to edit it, we're asking you to generate rushes and choose the camera angles and choose which cameras you're using. Um, so there was quite a lot of, there was a sort of a slight mindset, but now of course, partly because the industry's developed in the UK and there's lots and lots of rig shows, that that's, that's evolved quite significantly and there are people that are real specialists. But I mean, in terms of 24 hours in a &E, I mean, it is a, it's a, a big team. There's a lot of people that have kind of come up through the ranks, they really learned it. And, and it's, um, even though we're into that sort of ninth or tenth series, it's, there's, there's such a kind of loyalty to it that people do love it and people come back and come back again yeah. to do it, so. Um, well, let's have a clip, look at one of the clips from the series and... Um, this is from the, this was from the first this series. This is from the very first episode, ep episode three, and I love this clip. I, 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 you know, I just love the emotion that, that, that comes out of, you know, a lot of scenes in this series because, again, they're very intense moments in a hospital, in an A&E department. So, Magnus, can you, it, it's just, you know, it's a really powerful moment, but just, can you tell us a little bit about the function um, what the function of, of, of that story and that interview with that father is within the narrative of sure. the story. Uh, it's quite emotional, isn't it, watching it again? Um, I haven't seen it for a while, but um, um, I think why I sort of chose to look at the sort of first series is, is that um, I realised something that we've developed more so since, but that we were aware of very early on, is the is the function that the interviews would play um, as a kind of, almost as a counterpoint to the actuality, so that uh, normally in a medical series, you would expect someone to kind of get brought in in that situation, and that the interviews would, be ser would serve to basically comment on the action. So they would say, oh my God, I remember I, I had that call and you know, I got rushed in and, 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 and I was told my son had had an accident. Um, but instead, you can see all of that. You're observing that in the actuality. You can see the impact on him. So actually, to play an interview where you ask the father about um, the, the, the moment of his son's birth felt like a much more significant thing to do because it kind of, um, it, it sort of removes you um, from the action a little bit and kind of gives you this broader context. And I think that that makes the series much richer than if it was just... Um, all contained within the sort of narrative of the moment that you're watching. Mm. They're films about people, they become films about people's lives and relationships and, you know, you get, you get a whole lot from what that father's saying about his relationship with his son. Um, how do you get the access? How do you get the access to the hospital 
and to, pe and to people's con giving consent at an incredibly traumatic time <coughs> in their lives. So um, in terms of the hospital, um, so the first hospital we used was uh, a hospital called King's College Hospital in, Lo in London, which is actually my local hospital as well. So I, I know the A&E quite well. Um, uh, in fact, when my children go there, on the other occasion they go there, they're always expecting <laughs> to be filmed. Daddy, your camera's going to be here. Um, but when we approached them, uh, it was off the back of doing one one every minute, so they could see that we had managed to do something in a medical environment and do it responsibly. Um, and, and, and they were up for it. I think gen genuinely um, the NHS um, is under a lot of pressure in the UK and I think that people working within it can get quite a lot of stick and I think the hospital felt genuinely proud of their emergency department and what they did um, and I think they felt that it would be a real public service for um, uh, the population at large to kind of just to get to understand what they do and the kind of pressure they're under. Um, and, and, uh, but obviously the sort of process of negotiating um, the kind of, I suppose, the consent protocols and the way in which we engaged with the hospital and the way we went about putting the cameras in, that was a long, long process. And I often think, think with these things is that you can have an initial idea that seems slightly uh, uh, audacious to the, to, to, to the point of irresponsibility, um, but you can get there, but you can't see, you can't always immediately see the end point, and you just have to kind of work through it bit by bit by bit and give yourself time to get there and work very closely with the hospital to say, look, you're not, we're not going to self-solve everything now on day one. We don't know all the answers. Um, and that was the way it worked. And, and um, credit massively to you know, people like Amy Flanagan, who, who was the uh, series producer, who, who, who um, really um, put a lot of that work in and a lot of time to, to make sure we got that exactly right. And obviously now, they, you know, then once you've done it once, you've got a kind of template to do it again. And were the hospital people helping you get the access to the people who were coming in? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had a very, um, or we have, I should say, a very, very uh, lengthy and extensive kind of consent protocol. And, and that is all agreed with the hospital about what we will do in, in different cases. You know, so obviously it's very straightforward if someone is just sort of, uh, sort of effectively a walking wounded or is in the waiting room. Um, there's no reason why they just can't consent, and uh, and then that's that. Um, but w if anyone is in any sort of traumatic situation, we always say, and often through the doctors, that they're only ever consenting to be filmed, um, and then the kind of consent to broadcast is something quite separate. Um, and if they are brought in and they're unconscious, then obviously we talk to them next of kin as soon as possible, and so on. So, I mean, it's. Um, there's, as I said, it's a sort of lengthy document that sets out exactly how it works, and, it, and it's worked really well, and we've never had, um, touch wood, an issue. That's fantastic. Um, so A&E hit the screens. Um, you get multiple commissions, 34 episodes produced from a single eight-week shoot. How, did you, how do you manage... I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about time, but that is... A lot of episodes, a lot, you know, it is, yeah, multiple yeah. series. How do you sustain it? Is is time you, part of the secret? What um, do you think it is? I see what you why people kind of watch it. I think, um, you know, when I said sort of one born every minute, it's got a kind of sort of a, a little bit of a kind of set formula. Um, whereas an A and E, 
almost the stories are very as varied as um, people, you know. So that actually, uh, because we're not just interested in the medical stories, we're interested in the context of people's lives and why they're there, and we get into the backstory. Um, uh, it keeps it constantly feeling like you never quite know what you're going to get. I mean, there are obviously certain kind of familiar tropes in terms of sometimes people get brought in in a very, very um, sort of dire situation, and by the end of the film, they're sort of they're transformed in a kind of miraculous way. Um, but I, I, I think that within, I suppose in a way, A&E has the kind of promise of drama because it is an A&E, um, but also always within it is this, this, this sort of massive breadth of, and richness of humanity. Um, and in terms of just kind of, I think it has been important to try and really, really focus on keeping the quality bar up as well, because I think a lot of, obviously a lot of um, uh, people, once they've gone through numerous series of something, you can really, really notice. Mm. And I actually think that the, you know, the latest series, which as I say, I haven't been directly involved in, is um, uh, as high a quality, if not higher, because of so much we've learned. I mean, it's really, it kind of gets better and better and better. So, um, and that's because you have to kind of, I think you really, really have to commit to, if you, if you believe in something you do and you're going to continue doing it, you have, to, you have to keep that level of commitment up. Otherwise, you might as well move on to the next thing. I just, let's have a look at another clip, another incredibly moving moment. Um, get your tissues out, because I bawled when I saw this. And it's, it's amazing how you can pull a clip out and it's still really emotional and up outside of the context of the program. And... That's what's so great about it. It's also worth saying that it's quite... I mean, some of, the, some of my favourite bits of a &E are the quite small, quiet things mm. <laughs> that, that, are, are, that are very telling. Mm. <sighs> Sorry. Um, so that's doing a similar thing. It know, is, to the Kofi clip, and, yeah, to, to, the, um, the, mm. to the first clip. But, um, you know, when I was sort of talking about the idea of 24 hours in a &E being this kind of... Partly because of the time constraint, it being this quite rigid container, um, sometimes when you see a story like that, you see, well, there would be no reason to tell that person's story. Um, you wouldn't just go, oh, I know, I'm going to make a documentary about um, someone who's just recently lost their husband, um, and they're going to tell us about their life. You're just like, well, what? Whereas, because you've kind of got this container of A&E that can, you can do anything with it, because the people are there, and therefore you sort of have a right to tell their story, and, and really go to places. I love the fact that you can suddenly find yourself from being in the moment of an emergency department to something that happened 40 years ago. And that's, I think that just keeps it sort of perennially um, uh, satisfying and, uh, 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 and pleasurable, I think. Mm. And takes it outside yeah. the boundary of the hospital. Do, do, do you find you, you keep refining your processes as you're, as you're moving, you know, as it, with each series? Yes, I mean I think it's much. I mean I think it's uh, much tighter. I mean I think the. I mean, they say the for instance the pre-title sequence now is, is very sort of uh, very lavish and very honed. Feels exactly what it should be. Um, I also think sometimes you you just realise things. So maybe the thing about the interview that you could see from the first series, we became much much more conscious of, in subsequent series. We realised that that was no that was a real hallmark of what we were trying to do that that the interviews would take you far beyond the hospital. 
I'm ju we're just going to show a, a, a clip from Gogglebox, um, and Magnus has got a great story about about that. Um, but um, it's it's a it's you know it's ordinary people. Um, I'm sure you've all seen Gogglebox, but it's ordinary people looking at one of the A and E programs, and you know just wanted to talk about what makes it a format, what and what is sure. a format. In a way. Uh, what's interesting about this, what I really like about this is that in a way it's just an, it's, it's an opportunity for us to see a sort of audience responding to the programme and you sort of realise some of the things you do that you do deliberately do kind of have an impact on people and people respond to them. Do you know what? I suddenly realise I'm looking at that clip, and it makes me realise that I've, I've sort of been going on about all the sort of the sort of beautiful, subtle, quiet bits. But actually, sometimes when you put things in front of an audience, you realise what they're responding to is that. But there's also some quite obvious things. So things like you know, there's a use of the red phone. You know, when the red phone goes off, you kind of use it deliberately because you're going right. Okay, get ready for a bit of drama. Anticipate a bit of drama. And then, of course, the kind of the moment of re the reveal at the end where the person you think um, you know, may not have made it, suddenly they're talking to you and they're standing up and there's that sort of slight miracle moment. And it is quite interesting when you talk to kind of, I don't know, whether it's like parents on the school run or something, you know, and, you go, and they say, oh, what do you do? And you go, something about 24 hours in a &E, and they say, they say, oh, I love that episode last week when you know, that person suddenly <laughs> stood up and you weren't expecting them to and so on. So, um, I, I, as well as the kind of the, the, the sort of subtle levels of um, humanity and the places you get taken, I think there are also some things within it that sort of do give you kind of clear format beats. You know, like the sort of like the red phone, like you know, you would always probably ideally have a sort of trauma within part one to kind of kick kick off the action a bit, um, and then you would you know you would that that kind of withholding of um, certain key information till later in the film. And so on. And tell us about your mixed um, missed goggle box moment. Magnus nearly. Oh yeah, well no, this yeah. <laughs> um, so the, so when we did the, when we did the family, um, the way that Channel Four marketed it um, was they had ordinary people watching the family and responding to it, you know, with laughter and tears and so on. And it was a, it was a really really clever um, a bit of marketing because it kind of. It sort of said, watch this, it, you know, you'll respond to it like these people are responding to it. Um, and, of course, then when Gogglebox came along, it was like, hmm, that's remarkably like that trailer for the family that Channel 4 did. I don't think one inspired the other, by the way, but it was, as Mandy says, it was probably a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, now, so, so you were doing loads of other shows, you know, whilst you were doing all these rig shows. Yeah. And... Um, you know, you only have to go to the Gardens website to see the incredible range of stuff that they do. But but the next big rig show was 24 Hours in Police Custody. And can you just talk a little bit about um, how how, sure. how you broke out of yeah. the A&E format and moved on again? And then just set up the context for the next clip as well sure. for us. Sure. Uh, so with, with police custody, to be honest with you, it's not you know, like doing a rig in an A&E, doing a rig in a police station where it, it's, not a, it's not a genius thing to think of. And in some ways, I think we thought, 
that's probably going to be, you know, that really will be impossible to let, you know, get a, a police force to let us rig um, one of the most kind of sensitive and potentially kind of contentious areas. Um, but we did find one uh, in Luton. Um, and the thing about 24 hours in police custody is, is that we realised that the 20, we could use the sort of 24-hour format, um, and partly because there was a recognition in 24 hours in A&E that we thought we could, we talked to Channel 4 about moving on from that and doing 24 hours in other places. And we, we, we talked about lots of different ideas. And the thing about police custody is that, at least in the UK, um, once a suspect gets taken into custody, the police have 24 hours to either um, charge or release them. And so uh, it kind of gave us a sort of natural um, time frame because they're literally working against the clock and they've got to figure out, okay, what really happened here? Is this person responsible? What kind of evidence can they build against them in the period of time while they've got them in custody? Because obviously, once they're released, that's, that can be it. Um, so we use the time frame in a different way. And the um, clip I'm about to show is actually from um, episode one. It's, it's a shame, actually, that I can't um, show you clips of the new series, which is fantastic, which is, uh, is, is coming out soon. It's a bit premature to show you anything. But this is a clip from the first um, film, the first series. Um, and it, it, I think this really shows the rig um, working brilliantly. Um, because where the rig really comes into its own is in the interview rooms, and that's because you are just desperately looking at the reaction of the suspect, and you know, you're really trying to figure out are they responsible for this or not. Um, and in a funny sort of way, this clip is, and, and a lot of the um, uh, sequences in the, in, the, in the first episode were um, where the suspect was no commenting his way through the interview. So he's not giving anything away, but he gives everything away. Anyway, let's have a look. Remarkably there, he was, well, I'm sure some of, the, some of you have seen it, but he was, um, he was acquitted. So that you're sort of led all the way through the film to believe, you know, they've really nailed him, and then he was acquitted. Mm. And it's just brilliant. I think the 24 hours to charge or release a, a suspect, that kind of takes that structure kind of to another, another level, yeah. really. And in a way, with that, with custody, unlike A and you know, when I was talking about sort of the, the, the family or Womborn being this kind of self-contained bubble, I mean, A and E, uh, we f we do lots and lots of filming out and about, as well as using the rig, and and actually that works really really well. Um, so we we sort of break out of the pure rig. Mm. And and the other thing that you said to me that it's a great, this this particular one is a great container for. A whole range of current affairs issues. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Channel Four have found um, now, and I think it's particularly with this series, is that actually they can cover um, all sorts of issues that are kind of facing Britain in a, in, a, in a more significant way because they often find themselves in police custody at a certain point. So, you know, whether it's uh, um, extremism or um, or immigration or kind of historic child sex abuse or so on, they're all sort of but rather than doing a kind of film that is a bang-on-the-nose current affairs film on that subject, um, police custody kind of gives you the container in order to have all of those issues but have it very much narrative-driven by the fact that you're following the kind of the police investigation and how they deal with suspects in custody. Mm. And because and we haven't talked about how you went outside and, you know, we, we haven't kind of 
that you were filming with with Cruise yeah, yeah. and yeah 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 and we were, it was and I think we'll probably develop that further and further and in a way because you sort of have to work out well what's the rig giving you and you can see with custody uh, you know when you get people signed into custody that's quite a good moment to be on the rig um, and also the interview rooms are really really key because it's not there's not a way of really getting a crew in there um, but otherwise you want to be out and about following following the police investigation you want that kind of counterpoint to the interview that's going on in in the police station and the police that are out and about investigating mm -hmm. so so the next thing again is completely different completely brilliant we've bought the format at the abc and it's going out very soon um it was a hundred i mean some of you have already been to the factual session you know it was a hundred crews across one day, snapshot of the health system of the nation. Um, so let's have a look at the opener of the British series and then we can talk about it. So Magnus, where did the idea come from and why did you not do this for Channel 4? I love the fact that um, it started with Simon Dixon but he didn't get it. Yeah, no, well... <laughs> it must have been really miffed. <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, what, what, when we were talking about 24 hours in A&E um, for the first time, uh, we were talking to Simon about this sort of idea, which was, which was, was really, was too crazy actually, as it happens, which was um, maybe you could do the 24-hour format, um, but do it across the whole NHS and each episode would be like a single hour. It would be like the real 24. Um, and, uh, but that was, that, was, that was obviously too much. But it had got us thinking about whether there was a way of uh, doing a kind of uh, a definitive piece on the NHS but rather than doing the sort of standard thing, which would have been to follow it over a sort of period of nine months or two years, that would be what you would normally do if you were doing a sort of profile of an institution of that kind of scale. Why don't we take some of the lessons that we've learned from 24 hours in A&E, um, but do it on a much bigger scale? Um, and so this was a series that was filmed in a, a single day. And I think in a way, it's sort of a appealed to the BBC at that point, perhaps partly because we were doing 24 hours in A&E on Channel 4, there was a little bit of competition, but I think it was partly just because that, that was their way of doing something uh, at scale and, and something ambitious, but also something that would, would really tell you about the NHS and its reach, and it, although it wasn't, didn't have a current affairs agenda in the sense that we weren't, it's, in, it's pretty impossible to do proper current affairs issues, although we tried in a day, but just by seeing what the NHS does in a day, uh, that would, that, that it, it would tell you something about the value of that service and, and also how, how far it extends. Um, so the kind of range was really, really important. Mm. Um, I, was, I worked on this, so I was witness to the military operation that went on behind if, the scenes. So you were, <laughs> Mandy was filming with Jeremy Hunt, who was, so we were really keen to get the top to the bottom. And so we did a we did a day with Jeremy, which I think was really significant. Although he didn't do very much, he, he, it was it was really important to feel like you were there with the, with the person right at the uh, at the kind of top of the whole system, as well as the kind of the the porters at the bottom, as it were. Mm. But can you just talk a little bit about what went on behind the scenes? Because it was an amazing organisation feat, and you know the the challenge of having a hundred crews, and I just. What I remember about it was the excitement of us all being together and feeling like this was something really special and um, important. And can, can you just talk a bit about 
that and everybody getting behind the endeavour? Yeah, I, I would say one thing. I mean, it, it, we, we've only done this once in the UK. We didn't do um, subsequent series. Is that um, uh, often doing things for the first time can be really, really tough. And it was, it was a really, really tough thing to, to pull off because we were working with so many different hospital trusts. Um, and, you know, so the sort of... The, <laughs> It's like the axis of A&E, although it's complex, at least you're just dealing with one place. I mean, this is, you know, dealing with kind of multiple institutions. I think we were dealing with about 50 hospital trusts across, across the country was a real tall order. Um, and, and also just kind of getting the talent and booking them um, to go out on that day and, 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 uh, and, and, and entrust them, really, to um, not only come back with the rushes, but also not... And completely ruin your reputation with um, with the hospital trust uh, was was quite a tall order. And I think what was satisfying about it, and why I think there's this, you know, uh, and why I think it has been a success, and also been a success beyond Britain, is is that actually it's really surprising um, how much narrative you can get out of a single day, um, uh, even if you're not just in emergency department. So, so some of the um, some of the things I think worked quite well were, were, were some of the more sort of um, day-in-the-life um, things that we did. So I, I think some of the surgical procedures we did and some of the day-in-the-life stuff were really, actually really surprisingly well if you were sort of latched onto a particular um, character. And we obviously used the day as a bit of a kind of a, a helpful kind of shaping mechanism as well. Yeah, and I think, you know... I mean, you said it to me when it, when it's exciting for a, a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's the other thing is actually uh, uh, sometimes doing things like this that are sort of big scale things. Um, it, it has a kind of in, a real excitement about the endeavour, and everyone gets behind it, and it becomes a. It's almost like putting on. It's almost. I mean, I, it's almost like if you imagine being a a big theatrical troupe and you're putting on a show, pulling something off in quite a short period of time. Is where is energising, I think, and I think um, does actually make a difference to the quality of the material you get back. Um, and I do think it would have been quite a different thing had we tried to do, had we basically gone, well, why are we giving ourselves the restriction of this single day? Why don't we just film it over months? What what would what would be different? Couldn't we get more satisfying narrative that way? I think the fact that there was that endeavour had a significant impact on the, the quality and the sort of energy of it. So can we just skip the next clip but go on to the, the, the clip following after that, clip 11? I think this is because we've had a bit, it's been a bit, some of the clips have been a bit grim, haven't they? So we thought we might find a little, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we had one which was so quite a difficult watch and now we're, we're, we skip that, so we're going on to the one that's a little bit more fun. <laughs> I wish he was my doctor. <laughs> That was an interesting one because actually we sent that was someone that we didn't I don't think we really knew but he was a, a sort of uh, shooting director who who had volunteered to go and go to this sort of remote Scottish island and and he did he did remarkably well in terms of like he probably won the prize for generating the most rushes out of a day. <laughs> Brilliant, um, but but just do you think it worked conceptually because it was all filmed in a day, but you know you've said it wasn't a slam dunk that. Um, you know that it wasn't it wasn't completely perfect conceptually because how how did it go out eight weeks in a row or it, it went eight, eight it did it did go out eight weeks in a row I mean actually it's worked uh, uh, it worked well in the UK um, I think the BBC often have the thing of sort of not necessarily wanting to 
do something again, even if it's done quite well. Um, uh, and we did have conversations about whether we'd kind of move it into different, you know, taking the same concept and doing it in different, different sort of areas. Um, and one thing I had wondered in retrospect, um, because in some, there are other territories where it's played stripped across a week, and I had wondered a little bit whether actually, come, come programme eight, are you really still conscious of the fact that you've got this kind of, uh, that it's the same day? Does it actually, you know, does it conceptually work on that level? Because of course, you know, you can't, you don't, you're not necessarily remembering in Programme 8 that actually oh, it's the same day as, day as Programme 1. <laughs> I'm not sure that really matters, but um, I, I think there are some territories that have kind of made, it, made more of an event by, of it by stripping it um, mm. across a week or two. Mm. Um, I just want to get away from the rig for a minute because you have done lots of other things. You've got, had forays into art stocks, drama, um, and... You know, you did that, the Claridge's series, mm -hmm. which, which I just wanted to talk a little bit about and show a clip from because it's, it's, very, it's a very different kind of thing and it, it spawned a whole range of programs again, but in a different way. And then I wanted to go on to Canal Trip because that's sure. such a bonkers idea. So can we have a little look at the Claridge's? I love that. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the surprise success of this series. Well, uh, so this, in a way, so we did a, we did a series, um, uh, a, a director um, uh, called Jane Trears had, had got um, access to Claridge's and we worked with her um, uh, for this series. I don't know if you know Claridge's, the sort of the Grand Hotel in, in London. Um, and uh, so we made a sort of three-part series there. And in a way, it was completely made by the kind of staff characters because because Thomas is a hotel manager. He's not like he's not a kind of big character in the sense that he's kind of loud and garish, but he's he's kind of brilliant in his kind of looks and his kind of self-containedness. And and he's sort of every sort of scene he's in is is kind of similar. And I think it's that sort of level of um, uh, kind of slightly irreverent humour that that. Um, uh, really made it work, and it was a, it was a big success, and it kind of spawned a whole load of not just things made by us, but uh, by other companies of what you might call, you know, normally if you think about access documentaries, you think about access to kind of difficult places. Uh, it sort of spawned a whole load of kind of what you might call kind of posh access, um, so sort of access to worlds where the pleasure was in kind of peeping behind closed doors um, and seeing a world that you wouldn't normally be able to enter, um, and. I mean, I'd say that's probably slightly run its course now, but certainly, uh, I mean, we made that about three years ago, and the sort of last three years have been a lot of that. Uh, and I don't know that whether that's, I'm sure it's been shown here, but I don't know whether the sort of, the notion has transferred here. Mm. We don't have the class system in quite the same way. But, I mean, I, it's just very arch and cheeky. Yeah. And, and, and kind of moving on to something completely outside the documentary box, you, you did... Um, you then went on and did Canal Trip, which is, you know, it's almost like an antidote to um, doing highly organised military operation style documentary series. Um, and I just wanted to know where such a bonkers idea came <coughs> from. Well, I I, I'm sure most pe people are aware of the sort of uh, uh, Norwegian slow TV sort of movement that's kind of got quite a lot of press. Um, and uh, BBC Four... In fact, it was because, the, how it came about is that we were doing a series about the, uh, a motorway 
um, in the UK, all the kind of things that go into kind of maintaining a motorway and all the sort of emergency response crews and so on. And, um, uh, and uh, uh, we talked to them about maybe you could do a kind of a switchover BBC4 version um, of the BBC2 show, which would just be, you know, a sort of journey down a motorway in kind of real time. Um, and at the, about the same time, there'd been this kind of Norwegian slow TV idea that you could just kind of film things for a long, long time. Like, a, I think they did a, a sort of six-hour train journey. Um, and uh, we came up with this idea of... Um, so the, the BBC just sort of dismissed the motorway idea, but they said, how about doing the same thing but on a canal boat? So um, last summer, we um, filmed a two-hour canal trip in real time as a single shot. Um, and it was so a, you're still using it was, time. Yeah, time we were, yeah. In a way, you could say that, that we, we've kind of, from the sort of 24 hours, is like a, 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 a programme in a day. Keeping Britain Alive is like a series in a day. And in a way, when we got to Canal Trip, it was actually, we were filming actually in real time. <laughs> so uh, a re it was, a, it was a, a real two hours, and it was two hours on air. And it was a surprising um, hit success for... Uh, BBC Four last year, and, and, and we've subsequently done uh, a sleigh ride for Christmas in Lapland. Um, and you're doing another one. And we're doing another one, which I, I can't quite tell you about yet, but that's going to be equally exciting. Um, I just wanted to wrap it up and say thank you to Magnus for, doing, for coming out here. Thank you, Mandy. It's been a real pleasure. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.